0: Welcome to New Planet, a podcast where we inform and enable a sustainable lifestyle. Hi, Xander.
1: Hey, Aiden, how's it going, man?
0: Pretty good. Welcome. So this is episode two here. (laughs) This is episode two. Uh, What are we going to be talking about today?
1: The history of sustainability. How did we get here? The story of
0: sustainability. (laughs) That is the title right there. Pretty good, actually, when you read it out loud. Uh, So yeah, that is what we're going to be talking about today. And well, I guess first we should start off with the quote. That's what we're going to be doing now. We're going to be starting our episodes with a quote and um the one that i chose today is from martin luther king and his beyond vietnam speech and the quote is a time comes when silence is betrayal so i thought this was a very inspirational quote it is related to some degree to this issue because for me and xander i think that we came to a point where we couldn't really just sit around and not talk about the issue It felt like uh, MLK said, like betrayal, to not really talk about it anymore. So now we're here talking about it.
1: Yeah, I agree. The silence is the inaction. And uh, creating this community and this podcast is our first step towards action. So
0: yeah, we're making moves. Yeah, it's exciting. So, So yeah, we'll be doing that for every episode now. Just have an inspirational quote beforehand. I like that idea. So yeah. Let's get into it. I'm going to begin with talking about the idea of sustainability and where that kind of arose. And I might ask you, Xander, where do you think that arose in the first place? When would you have thought people would have begun thinking sustainably? Maybe not in the sense that we think about it today, but, you know, locally sustainable, whatever.
1: Mm Hmm. Uh, probably after globalization, I don't think the idea of sustainability was probably very prevalent until people were really traveling the world and kind of seeing the impact more of what they have on the environment. Like I'm sure there were some cases of people seeing their effect on the environment, but the idea of sustainability pr- didn't probably arise until we we're more of a global society. That's my that's my guess.
0: Yeah. So from a from a global perspective, that makes sense because with the rising populations and more places being inhabited, we'd have a greater impact on the environment, local environment, and the global environment. But actually, sustainable thought and, I guess, practices of sustainability were around really throughout human history or modern human history. Maybe, I should say, after the introduction of agriculture, which is when, do you know, Xander? Uh,
1: 10,000 years ago.
0: Yeah, I think that's like the Something generally like the generally agreed upon uh, time. So that agriculture in the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, those were the rivers that really um, were the rise of agriculture and sedentary lifestyle. So people would s- create their cities around there, and they'd live there, they'd create societies, economies, different polities.
1: Okay, so... 10,000 years ago, when agriculture first started in the Dank River Valley, that's when the idea of sustainability really started?
0: Exactly. So, and I guess my point is with this uh, little section here is that it didn't really work out very well, regardless of their attempts to be sustainable. So they had to make sure that there were crops for the next year and future years and that they were not cutting too deep into their resources, their natural resources, but in Mesopotamia, that didn't work out very well. And they had problems with deforestation, and that in turn led to erosion and the lack of arable soil and arable land. So regardless of their attempts to be sustainable, it didn't work out. And uh, one of the articles that I had read for research on this topic was talking about how in the period of 400 years, between 2100 and 1700 BC, the population in the Mesopotamian area decreased by 60%. Whoa.
1: Did a lot of people
0: emigrate, or did they just die from lack of food? I don't know. Did um, people I'm not just really stop sure. having babies? <laughs> I think a lot. So there was obviously a lot of conflict going on in that area in terms of, um, obviously, Conflict within cities because of problems like this and lack of resources causes social unrest, which leads to political issues and economic issues, everything like that. But at the same time, there were a lot of competing cities and nation-states in that area. Invasions were common. So, um, you know, there were a lot of issues in that that time, but sustainability was one of them.
1: Well, do you think that... Along with deforestation, the lack of knowledge of crop rotation really affected the irritability of the land, and they really were overusing the soil, and that caused a huge reduction
0: in crop production? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I know that other civilizations, for example, in the Americas, like whether it's north america or south america they were pretty good about using multiple crops in in one like plot of land so that they would have sisters yeah the what the three sisters is that like a practice sustainable or a crop rotation practice
1: it's when you grow corn uh beans and squash together
0: oh interesting
1: And they, like, play off of each other, adding different nutrients to the soil to really benefit
0: the the whole. So I know that in the Americas, they were pretty good about crop rotation, and I'm not so sure about in Mesopotamia. I I don't know why, but I get the feeling that they would just grow um, wheat, for example, and just have, like... What's the term? Not, I want to say like mono, not monoculture, but a mono, um, they would just grow one crop in one location at a time instead of having multiple ones and having variability.
1: I think that's monoculture, man.
0: Monoculture? Yeah.
1: Um, well, I read that Middle Eastern farmers practiced crop rotation in 6000 BC, so they didn't even understand the chemistry of what was going on in the soil but they would alternatively plant legumes and cereals so that the legumes would put
0: more nitrogen into the soil and the cereals would take them out. That's interesting. So I guess they knew about, you know, maximizing crop yields, but I think when it came to actually taking resources from the earth, for example, trees, um, they didn't really understand possibly the the consequences of that and that would cause flooding and, and erosion and right yeah
1: and with this increasing population you know you need more fields so you got to cut down forest so yeah and it's like, like a it kind of plays into it
0: yeah it's like a positive feedback loop because the uh, introduction of agriculture itself led to population rise and then more population led to more necessity for food so they would just play off of each other and higher populations meant more food production and more food production meant the ability of more people to live in that location so the introduction of agriculture is a really interesting subject i love that plant some trees no more floods (laughs) (laughs) so another civilization that had an interesting issue with sustainability it's actually kind of a famous one is the easter islanders you know about the Easter Islanders, right?
1: The the people that lived on the island in the middle of nowhere with large
0: heads all over the place? I mean, they didn't have large heads, but... <laughs> the, the statues? Yeah, the big head statues. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, those they are the... They had
0: regular big... heads, but their statues had large heads. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> so <laughs> these guys, yeah, they lived in the middle of nowhere of I think the closest island or the closest landmass to them was over 1,500 miles away, which makes for a really interesting story because they had to get there somehow, right? So uh, these Easter Islanders were originally, supposedly, because it's not 100% proven yet where they came from, but the main ideas are that they came from Polynesia on boats. And, yeah... They sailed thousands of miles, or a thousand plus miles, all the way to this little island. And that's where they formed their society. So it's a pretty interesting story of how they got there. So once they did get there, they did flourish and thrive on the island for a while. And eventually, they over-harvested, cut down too many trees, they over-hunted the limited population of animals on the island, which is always a problem because they're essentially in a closed system, right? So there's not, you can't, it's hard to replenish your resources on the island of the middle of nowhere. So they deforested and they killed too many other animals and the result of this was erosion of the soil and environmental issues that led to social unrest and conflict between the different groups on the island. And we know most of this through anecdotal evidence, but also from when the Europeans arrived on the island in 19 sorry, 19 <laughs> in 1722 and apparently before that the island population had declined from 15,000 to 2 to 3,000. Um, and this was before the Europeans arrived. So pretty interesting example there because that island be- is like a little mini version of Earth and shows how we need to be careful with our resources and and be sustainable in our living.
1: Nice. I agree.
0: So the last civilization that I quickly want to go over are the Mayans. So specifically in the city of Tikal, which was kind of the... One of the m- more important and central cities of the Mayans in the 9th century, and it's located in Guatemala. So here in Tikal they had a highly engineered environment in order to really maximize their population and maximize the productivity of their civilization. So to some degree they had forestry practices that eventually turned out to not be sustainable because they would cut down too many of the mature and older trees and leave only the smaller ones. And this was due to their high demand for firewood, which they needed for cooking. They would also engineer their cities, like Tikal, in order to collect more rainwater because in this location of Tikal there wasn't a lot of fresh water lying around, so they would rely heavily on rainwater and collecting rainwater for drinking. And so the combination of their deforestation and a really long dry season in the 9th century, which, by the way, was also partly caused potentially by their deforestation and disrupting the delicate balance of the forest and sort of the climate in that area, Uh, this combination led to the demise of their civilization because they weren't sustainably taking resources from that forest and it caused environmental problems. And in the end they were not able to, to deal with the consequences. So these are some examples of sustainability practices that, or I should say, lack of sustainability practices in more ancient civilizations that prove the importance of sustainability, both on a small and a large scale. It's important to know what you're taking from from nature and know how that affects you and and your population. So
1: some ancient civilizations had a perception of their impact on the environment and the idea of sustainability, but it wasn't really practiced that often, kind of when or were people already practicing ideas of sustainability? I know we talked about the Mayans engineering their landscape to kind of help mitigate the effects that they have on the environment, especially when it came to their rainwater, which is super cool. But when did this kind of idea of sustainability become more mainstream? Or
0: Right. So the first real, I guess, calls for sustainability and understanding that we were having a negative impact on our in local environment was around Plato's time, so in ancient Greece, and he was an advocate of posterity and making sure that we were undergoing prog- uh, making sure that we were practicing a certain degree of sustainability. And he noticed this because of uh, actions like cutting down trees and you know deforestation. And the same thing was noticed by Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman author. And actually, fun fact he died uh, because of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in, you know, the volcano that destroyed Pompeii. Yes. Yeah, apparently he was trying to save his friends and family in this nearby city, and he died. Bummer. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was cool. But Pliny the Elder, he wrote a like a, essentially an encyclopedia about nature and the environment in his time, and he talked about the effects of also deforestation and other practices that harm the environment. So over a couple thousand years ago, people were already talking about this in writing, and it goes without saying that it was clearly practiced beforehand because... Um like you mentioned, crop rotation and things like that were already practiced several thousand years ago. So one really important part of sustainability and how we got to the idea of modern sustainability is the idea of progress and how that drives civilizations and societies to act a certain way and either practice sustainability or practice unsustainable activities. So before we get into the history of progress and how that influenced sustainability, we should ask ourselves what progress really means. So how would we define progress in our time right now? Like when you think of, for example, how do we progress as a civilization right now? Maybe as a global civilization or even just in the United States, what would you say is progress?
1: What a question,
0: right? Um, That's a
1: hard question to answer. I think progress comes down to equality in regards to equality of opportunity. And just balance in our society when it comes to with each other and with the world around us i think that's kind of is the goal of progress maybe to strive towards that lifestyle and understanding of
0: the world i don't know yeah i mean the progress has so many different things tied into it but I would say that in order to progress, you can't progress as a society if people are not treated equally. Right. Or at least you can't progress in the way that we want to progress if people are not treated equally. I'm sure that back when slavery still existed prevalently in the United States, economic progress was being made, and to some people that was progress in general, but... It, for us, I don't think that you can have progress without social equality or social equity. So I guess for me, definitely equality is part of of progress. And also, progress would be like a moral progress, I guess, of that. I guess it is tied into equality, but yeah, improving our morals and becoming maybe less violent as a culture and less... Um, less hungry for for money and and economic progress and really see the value of of connection with the environment and nature so
1: i i agree with that but i also think that economic progress is part of progress in general but it it needs to also be equal progress but i think the ultimate goal is for everyone to live a rich life even like you know financially, personally, spiritually, emotionally, and have this sort of balance. You know, it's like you're the there's a wheel and you're in the middle and there are all these cogs and if you have one that you're spending too much time on, like you're breaking, you know, your your money cog or your personal cog or your emotional cog. Mm-hmm. And that's not you're not gonna be moving that wheel forward. Progress. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so the, uh, the actual history of progress is really interesting, and I'll quickly go through it here. Um, it began mostly as that, kind of like I mentioned, the more moral, and I guess it began, began more in a religious sense. So the advancement of humans and humankind and morals with these utopian ideas and, and preparation for life after death, so living a good life, and progressing uh, towards a better life, I guess, in heaven or wherever that place is that you believe in. (laughs) And so this kind of set up an idea of linear progress and in a sense that, you know, you advance from one step to another, it's not circular or it's not tangential, it's linear. So there was a path that people had to follow. And, when the Enlightenment came around in the 18th century, this was really attractive to some people. The Enlightenment was a time of laws and rationality and reason and classification. So progress really embodied that, and it created this idea of unilineal or unilinear evolution. And this was with regard to cultures and societies. So Societies would be classified into certain stages, linear stages of progress, and this would start with savagery, then you could progress to barbarism, and you could then progress to civilization, which was, of course, where the Western and European countries saw themselves. They were the civilized ones, and as they encountered these foreign civilizations that were less civilized as they saw them, it reinforced this idea that the Europeans were superior and that progress, they were farther along this linear path to progress economically, culturally, socially. So it's an interesting subject and also very controversial. As the Industrial Revolution rolled around, progress really took on that idea of economic progress and development. And this would have an effect on sustainability and the history of sustainability because economic progress is uh, synonymous with extractivism and taking resources. It always has been to some degree. Economic progress means production, and production generally means taking resources from the earth. In fact, human existence means taking resources from the earth. But as populations grew and as cities grew and countries uh, were created around the world, progress meant more extraction, more resources and in turn less sustainability and it created this idea of humans being above nature and that nature was something that we could control and that and we could dominate it and if we could do that that meant progress.
1: That's interesting. I think the industrial revolution and globalization definitely started that cycle. You know, it comes down to what can you produce and how can you enhance the lives of other individuals. And right, and en- enhance
0: the lives of individuals across the world with products that they were never exposed to before. So Right.
1: And then nowadays, I think it comes down to, like, progress is in line with technological advancement in a lot of ways, especially when we're thinking of how to help the environment. You know, we have progress towards clean energy, solar power, wind power, and then you also have the extraction of CO two from the air, like all these different ways that we are using technological advancement and progress to solve this problem. So it it kind of is a full circle. So maybe we did have to go through this industrial revolution and globalization to have advancements in technology to where we can solve this problem of environmentalism, even though we weren't we didn't really have it in mind while producing
0: yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of instances in history where you look back and and you see all these horrible things that have happened, but at the same time, had they not happened, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have gotten to a, a point where we would have been able to solve the problem.
1: Right. Like if I could live um, in any time period, I would live in the modern
0: time period. Yeah, yeah. It's it's history. It seems to be very paradoxical. So when it comes to
1: humans controlling and dominating their environment as the primary idea of progress or just the perception of nature's role for humans like it was very human-centric rather than holistic environment ecological yes so were there any uh people who had opinions about humans role in nature
0: yeah so- uh, this guy, Donald Bruce, I read his article and or I should say I read his paper, a scientific paper, where he talks about this. It's kind of where I got some of these ideas about progress and and how humans uh, how humans believe their what their relationship to nature should be. And so he had these four attitudes toward nature and human intervention. and they are as follows. Ownership, ecocentric, partnership, and maintenance engineer. So these are four different attitudes that he describes as the main attitudes that humans can have towards their relationship with nature. So ownership is sort of what I just talked about in regards to humans see nature as an object for their use to be able to exploit it, do whatever they want with it. That's like the polar opposite of the next one, which is being ecocentric. And um, being ecocentric is the idea that there's a relatedness of all things. So, nature, all the animals, you know, everything on Earth, it's one system, and that humans are just part of it. They're not the top of it. There's no classification, like people in the Enlightenment period would say. There's no classification of which the humans are the better or the top of the classification. The third attitude is partnership. So partnership and the next one, maintenance engineer, are the more centrist views and the less extremist views of humans' relationship to nature. So partnership is that nature does have this value, this intrinsic value, but it isn't untouchable. So there's the acknowledgement of humans that nature is very important it plays a significant role in life on earth and it's valuable but we also need to take from it and we we can we are allowed to take from it but we can't upset the balance that important balance that we always talk about so if there is for example an innovator that wants to I don't know, create a new project to extract resources from the earth or something like that, the burden of proof lies with them to show that there will be no harmful effects. On the other hand, um, is the maintenance engineer. And the maintenance engineer is the less extreme view of ownership. And that is that nature exists, and it does exist for our use, but we still have to look after it, just not for altruistic reasons. We have to look after it because it's in our best interest to look after it. Because if we use too much of our resources and we aren't sustainable, then, for example, our economies will fail, our societies will have many more problems than they already do. So, Xander, yes. which view do you relate to, Which <laughs> Which uh, attitude do you relate to the most? Hmm.
1: I think that the maintenance engineer is the probably the perspective to have currently because I think individualism is pretty important and people really want to look out for player one, you know, themselves to an extent and understanding the effect that you as an individual has on the planet and knowing that you need to take care of it for that balance, but really kind of striving towards a ecocentric perception so understanding how everything is related and how we are a part of the ecosystem but we're not at the center of the ecosystem so
0: understanding so you see yourself you see yourself as a maintenance engineer person then or you think that is like the more important one i think
1: that one makes the the most sense to an extent and i would also consider myself probably a maintenance engineer but i have like ecocentric goals. Does that make sense? Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that I do stray from those, like, extreme views. I would generally say I'm more of, like, that partnership person, because the just the thing that it says here, that nature has intrinsic value for its own sake, I think that's true, that nature does have intrinsic value. And... I do agree that it isn't untouchable because, you know, we want to live as humans, right? And living involves taking resources and affecting nature to some degree. But I think that when we do affect nature, we need to make sure that we're affecting it to the least possible degree. And that involves not upsetting the balance. And I think the burden of proof should lie on the innovator. And I guess in in this case, a good example would be like somebody who wants to explore oil drilling in the Arctic, right? The burden of proof should lie on them to prove that there are no uh, harmful or adverse effects, as opposed to the maintenance engineer idea of that that the person opposing that exploration needs to prove that there would be harm.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that the idea of the burden lying on the innovator is interesting because in the society that we live in we have this idea of voting with your dollars and there just needs to be more transparency and accountability when it comes to the innovator because i think people have the individual right to not purchase the things that the innovator has created and it really would disincentivize them from doing those sorts of innovations, but I think when it comes to a partnership expressing this "no unless" view of intervention in nature, um, and then the maintenance engineer having this "yes provided" view, I think that "unless" versus "provided" is really, for me, I guess, about e- this ecocentric understanding that everything is related and we are a part of nature. So. Saying, yes, we can have this innovation, provided that we understand that we are a part of nature and we need there to be balance. Or else, for our own interests, we will destroy the planet and the human species.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, could, I can respect that for sure. So that's my perspective. Interesting. So definitely some interesting ideas there of what we see as the important attitude towards nature and and how we relate to nature and how much we should intervene with it and yeah if you guys listening have any ideas about that we'll make a post about this on the instagram and give you guys a space to let us know what you think about about how much we should be intervening with nature and and whether you feel you're a in- know an ownership person an ecocentric person partnership person or a maintenance engineer
1: yeah let's have a let's have a dialogue cuz i think all of these are different perspectives and it's always interesting to hear what your perspective is and work together to create this community around sustainability and you know strive towards a balance yes that equilibrium point
0: Thanks for listening to our show on the history of sustainability. We really hope you enjoyed it. Check out our Instagram at newplanet and feel free to send us an email at newplanetpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm Aiden Hirsch. I'm Xander Kipp. See you next time.